Kids, have you ever asked your parents for something and the, before your parents granted that request, their follow-up question to your request was, why? Why should I give you that? Anybody, any kids experienced that? Some of the grown-up kids, okay. <laughs> parents, are, are there any parents that have you, have, have you done this to your kids, that when your kids asked for something, okay, my mother-in-law is nodding her head yes, so yeah, um, when, you're, when you've asked for something, have you responded to your children with, why? Why should I give you that? Any, any parents do that? Okay, several of us, good. Well, that's a good habit to be in, and asking why is, is really powerful. And I want you to learn this morning, what I think we see in Scripture is that it's important to, to pray why. When we're, when we're lifting up prayer requests, when we're asking God for things, to give biblical reasons for why we want God to answer those prayers. And if you don't do that currently in your prayer life, I hope that you will by the time we get through with Psalm 67 today. If you're joining us for the first time, our church is in the process of going through the Psalms. We're not looking at every single one because that would take three years. Uh, So we've narrowed that down. We're looking at about a third of them. And we're learning that no matter what our circumstances, whether pain or sorrow, betrayal, grief, joy, uh, need, there is a Psalm for that. And today we get another Psalm of learning how to pray. Uh, The big picture of Psalm 67, it's quite possibly a chiasm. I think there's at least two people here who care about that. So just going to let you look for that yourself. But if you look for the chiastic structure in this psalm, uh, that can be your your treasure hunt for later on this afternoon. Uh, Singing this psalm would have called the Old Testament believers to a vision of reaching the nations with the knowledge of the one true God, with Yahweh, with the knowledge of Yahweh. And... Singing and praying this psalm as new covenant believers calls us to a vision of reaching the nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As far as the type of psalm, uh, it's kind of hard to classify and uh, scholars struggle with that. I'm not even going to try, but it certainly is a request. And that leads us to our big idea today, ask God's blessing for the sake of the kingdom. Ask God's blessing for the sake of the kingdom. Ask God's blessing for the sake of the kingdom. The psalmist writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and may his face shine, make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Point number one, ask God's blessing. Ask God's blessing. It is right to ask God for things. It is right to ask God for his favor. In fact, in James chapter 4, the apostle James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask. If we're not asking, we're not receiving. It's one of the reasons, notice I said one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons that I will keep crying out for more prayer in the life of our church so that we are receiving all that we need to further the kingdom in northern Utah and to the nations. When we gather to pray in our Wednesday night meetings, we're praying for church members who have needs or who are going through hard times. We're praying for our ministries. We're praying for the lost to be found. We're praying for families. We're praying for marriages. We're praying for the leaders and and world politics. We're praying for nations and world events. And there's multiple opportunities to pray. There's our Wednesday night prayer meeting at 6.30, uh, with Awana starting back up, we have an Awana prayer time at 525. 
There's a, a short time of prayer in the church library at 8.45 Sunday mornings to pray with me before uh, we kick off our Sunday Bible studies and our worship service. Um, our prayer ministry is trying to start another prayer meeting on Sunday mornings, a prayer group that meets at 9.30, so a half-hour prayer meeting uh, before the service. If you're interested in that, please let us know. But we need more prayer. If we are going to see breakthrough in this community, it's going to come through prayer. And it is right to ask God for things. One of the things we, we need and we've started asking God for very intentionally in our prayer meetings is a new roof. Many of you are aware that our, we're on year, what, 28, I think, of a 20-year roof. Uh, so we're, we're slightly overdue uh, for a new roof. And Wayne's been up there faithfully throwing tar on it over and over again trying to patch it. But, but eventually there's not going to be any roof left to tar. It's just going to be tar. Uh, so we needed a roof. And one of the secret strategies, this hit me this week, here's, here's, one, here's one of my secret strategies, well, it's not so secret, I'm telling you. Here's going to be one of our strategies for getting a new roof on the church. Okay, who, we've had a lot of baptisms in the last couple of years. Who are, if you're under 18, you're one of our students or children, and you've been baptized in the last two years, can you raise your hand? Yeah, I'm not going to call on you, I'm not going to like throw things at you, don't worry, it's okay. Uh, kids, I want, you're, you're our secret weapon. I want to ask you guys, would you start praying for a new roof for our building? Would you do that? Would you commit to doing that? Because you guys see the power of that? Like, if our children, if our students, if our youth who know God are praying for a new roof, I just have so much confidence that God is going to provide that, that God is going to show these students how great and how powerful he is. So students, you, children, you are our secret weapon. I want you to start praying for our roof. You're also free to pray for the parking lot as well. It needs some work as well. And God's got it. He's infinitely, uh, he has infinite resources. He can handle both. Well, look, I'm digressing, but I, I do mean that, kids. Please, please do that. Well, back to Psalm 67. So here in Psalm 67, the psalmist is specifically asking God for things. Wait a second, Charles. Is this the prosperity gospel? Are you know? Are you teaching us just you know seek uh, seek prosperity, seek God's blessing? Well, before you tar and feather me, let's. It's not. Let's let's clarify. Uh, the the prosperity gospel is this this picture of if you just have enough faith and you go to God, you're going to get all these blessings. You're going to get health. You're going to get wealth. Um, that that sort of thing. And, there, and and there's several things the prosperity gospel gets wrong. And this is just a, a point to highlight that. If we're looking at a psalm that teaches us to pray for God's blessing, we want to do that the right way and not the wrong way. So what, there's a wrong way to seek God's blessing. Uh, what the prosperity get, gospel gets wrong is first and foremost is that God is not the censor. In the prosperity gospel, God becomes a means to getting what you really want, which is a healthy body, more money in your bank account, a nicer car, a bigger house. It's kind of like you treat God like this rich uncle that you don't really like and enjoy, but you kind of butter up to him because you want to get money from him. Um, that's the, it's not because you really love your, this uncle and want to spend time with him and you enjoy him. It's you just want to get stuff from him. That's how the prosperity gospel treats God. But what have we seen in the Psalms? God is not a means to the end. God is the end. God is the greatest treasure. The greatest thing God can ever give you is himself. Psalm 63 that we looked at last week. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better, better than life. My lips will praise you. David cries out, he says, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Your love is better than life. And David prays this from the wilderness. That's not a prosperity gospel prayer, is it? Psalm 27 also expressed a hunger for God. We looked at a few months ago. One thing I have asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Those are not prosperity gospel prayers. So the prosperity gospel doesn't seek God first, but true followers of Jesus do. Secondly, the, what the prosperity gospel gets wrong is that God does not always will for us to be healed or rich. Uh, just look at Paul's list of sufferings that he goes through to the Corinthians. He talks about all the hardship and toil and suffering and beatings he's endured. And the truth is God is sometimes more glorified in our suffering than in our prosperity. Sometimes God is more glorified in our health problems than he, did, he would be in healing us. When Paul talked about suffering with an affliction, we don't know what it was, but he said there was this affliction, this thorn in the flesh, and he prayed three times for God to take it away. So again, it's not wrong to pray for healing. It's, it's good, it's right to pray for healing. But sometimes God's answer is no. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul did not get healing. He got God's grace, and that was enough. And finally, the prosperity gospel gets a, has a misunderstanding of the kingdom. We're not home yet. Like, this is not the end. Yes, Jesus came to, to restore all things and to conquer all things, but the kingdom is, is already, but not yet. You've heard me use this expression before. It's not original to me. The kingdom is already... Jesus has inaugurated the, the reign and rule of God, yet it's not yet. It's not fully realized. There's still horrible things happening all around the world. I mean, that's why we have to have a global hunger Sunday. It's because there's terrible things happening around the world. But, but this is not the end. And, and the scripture says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And you know how Jesus is feeling today in his physical body? He is feeling just fine. And so your, your aches and suffering and, and pains and, and diseases will all be one day fixed and cured. The first fruits is already there. Jesus is already there. And we will join that one day, but we're not there yet. So that's at least three ways the prosperity gospel gets it wrong. But Psalm 67 does not get these things wrong. It is possible to be God-centered and yet ask for God's favor and blessing if it's coming from a heart that treasures God above all things and is seeking blessings for the right reasons. And this is where it comes in. How do we answer that why question? Why should God bless us? Why should God bless us? 
the psalmist goes on to explain why he asks for God's favor. He says in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is the big why. God bless us, make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Point number two, get your motives right. Point number two, get your motives right. If you're going to ask God to bless you, then you need to ask for the right reasons. Kids, can you think of some good reasons to ask God to give us a new roof? Yes, I see that hand. Yeah, like, you know, we kind of do a lot of stuff here, don't we? Like, it's, it's really useful to have a roof over our heads when we worship, and we're not out in the snow or the rain or the, the heat. Uh, the, the, like, this facility has a lot of use for ministry. And so there's a lot of gospel-centered reasons, a lot of missional reasons to ask God to give us a new roof. We need to be asking for the right reasons. And again, this is a really helpful practice to develop in your prayer life as you are growing and praying the Psalms, these, these divinely inspired, inerrant prayers God has given us to pray and to sing. Give God reasons. When you're asking for things, give God reasons why he should answer that prayer request. There's been times I haven't prayed for things because I didn't have a good reason. I was like, you know what, I would like this, but I can't think of a good biblical reason why he should do this. It's probably better that he doesn't answer this prayer. So, never mind. Why does the psalmist ask God to bless? That God's way may be known on the earth. That God's saving power is known among all the nations. Did you know that God is a missionary God? Pastor Ron, did you know that? That God is a missionary God? Okay, I th yeah, I thought maybe after a couple decades on the mission field, you might, might have came across that idea. D did you think that reaching the nations was unique to the New Testament? D do you remember what God told Abram when he called him in Genesis chapter 12? He said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The psalmist, uh, Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman III says, the psalmist has a purpose for desiring God's blessing on Israel. He wants Israel to be a conduit of blessing to the nations. And he wants God to make his ways and his salvation known to all the nations. The seeking of blessing here in Psalm 67 is for the purpose of gospel proclamation. God, may God bless us for the cause of gospel proclamation. I, I think of one of my heroes in the faith, Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy is the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, and I, I really enjoy reading his book, Eat More Chicken, Inspire More People. And his, his hard work and his head for business and just the opportunities that God gave him. And, and he is, he grew up poor. He don't think he was born uh, rich. He grew up poor, started off selling magazines and Cokes door to door. Uh, built himself up, eventually, you know, brought us Chick-fil-A, and we're all so thankful. But one of the things that was, that was inspiring about, as I read his, uh, his biography, was the millions of dollars that have flowed through 
the Kathy family to, to support missions and blessings to the community and to the world. True Kathy showed us what it looked like to use a business skill for the glory of God, for gospel proclamation. And this vision of working to, to fund the mission is what, what gives meaning to financial pursuits. I mean, otherwise, it's just a, life is just a big game of Monopoly. Okay, great, you got Boardwalk, and you got Park Place, and you put some hotels on them, and at the end, it all goes back in the box. But not if you're using your wealth and your resources for kingdom purposes. Then it has an eternal purpose to it. Then it has eternal significance. In the United States, we are some of the wealthiest people to ever have lived in the history of the world. Uh, you may not think of yourself as that. You know, when, I, when, when you read the passages in the Bible where it talks about the rich, you may think, well, that's somebody else. That's somebody who lives in a bigger house than I do. I assure you, that's us. We are wealthier than probably 98 to 99% of the world population. And if that doesn't qualify us as rich, I don't know what does. It's, we, we live in this, this, the Disney world of the, of, of, the, of the globe called the United States, but so much of the world does not enjoy the standard of living and the wealth that we have. They live on a dollar or two dollars a day some places. Um, there's no running water. That, to hear that over two billion people are facing food insecurity, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. We are blessed and I would like to suggest that the reason that God has made us wealthy is not so we could enjoy a really high standard of living. It's so we could fund the mission. It's so that we could finish the task, that we could fund the mission. I, I love what Global Hunger is doing, that they're providing food to all who have need. You know, we don't, we don't do this with strings attached, right? We don't say, hey, well, if you will get baptized, we'll give you food. We don't do that. We give out food freely to all who have need. But we are doing that with gospel proclamation. We're telling them, look, this bread's gonna feed you for a little bit, but we wanna tell you about the bread of life. God has blessed us to bless others in order that they might know how great and how good God really is. And that's exactly what the psalmist wants to see happen. He prays, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Point number three, seek for the nations to praise God. Seek for the nations to praise God. The psalmist is so passionate about this as evidenced by his repetition uh, in, of his desire in verses three and five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. He says that twice. If you're trying to look for the chiasm, I'll help you find it. And the nations coming to know the one true God. What does that mean for them? It means their joy. It means their happiness. It means giving them the greatest source of satisfaction let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. I think the psalmist, uh, to quote the ESV study Bible, is praying for the day when God's acknowledged rule is extended to include the Gentiles. 
the ESV Study Bible also comments, helping us to understand this, when he says you judge the peoples with equity. In the Old Testament, the first duty of a judge was to protect the innocent. Um, to, he, he was kind of a savior figure. James Hamilton says, God will deliver from injustice, oppression, and lostness in the trackless waste of a world that has no meaning apart from him. And I don't think this psalm originally hit me with as much force because I live in a nation where I have freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And and so thankful for our veterans who have have helped (laughs) uh, pass that down to us. But we live in a nation where we have freedom. But so much of the world, how much of the world lives in a place where there is oppression and injustice and Uh, I mean, I just read about in Pakistan recently how these Christians were falsely accused. They were framed, uh, falsely accused of a crime and mobs, violence attacking them. And you know what the police did? They watched. They stood by and they watched as Muslims beat Christians. And so introducing people to the one true God, the one who judges the peoples with equity, the one who protects, who delivers us from injustice and unrighteousness and oppression and evil... Uh, I'm reading an excellent book right now called Unguard. I gave it to all of our uh, trustees and our, uh, anyone who works with minors in our church. And just the, the, the statistics in that book are horrendous of what all the evil that's done against children just in our own country, let alone in the world. God will deliver from that. God is the judge. He judges the people with equity. And as Hamilton said, he delivers us, he guides the nations upon the earth, he delivers us from meaningless, empty lives. And as we sing, and as we pray this psalm, we are reminded that this should be on all of our hearts. This desire that the the psalmist is exploding with, this this desire, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, this this prayer that he echoes twice, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. This overwhelming desire and longing for all the nations to come to know the one true God is a desire that we should all have and all be about. Missions is not something that a subsection of the church does. Missions, the Great Commission, is something the entire church is about. All of us. Uh, we, we may not all be sent out as missionaries. In fact, that would be impossible, right? Um, we're not all going to be on the international missions team But we all are about the mission. We are all about every nation, tribe, and tongue coming to know the one true God through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. So here's an Air Force analogy. I I had one of our veterans told me, Charles, I love all the military analogies. And I was like, that's great because I love using them. So we'll just keep them coming. Um, so here's, a, here's another military analogy for you. I have, I have quotas I gotta meet. So often, every so often I have to mention Chick-fil-A and I have to mention the military and I have to mention World War II uh, in sermons. So uh, getting multiple of those in today is great. Uh, so here's an Air Force analogy for you. So in the Air Force, right, what is the overdo- overwhelming thing? It's all about the mission, right? It's, it's all about completing the mission. Now, not everybody has the same job. Uh, let's, think of, uh, let's think of fighter pilots. Right? Think of the, the F-35, right? So... 
you got a, you got a fighter jet, air superiority, missions that send out on. Not everybody is the pilot. In fact, there's only a very small percentage of, of airmen are, are pilots. But everybody's supporting that mission. Um, I heard it many years ago from someone here that uh, for every plane, it takes 70 people to support that plane. Uh, so it's not just the pilot doing his thing. It's not just the crew chief. There's, there's, there's a slew of dozens of people behind the, who are involved in that mission. I wanted to fact check that. So I don't know if I should mention Tom by name. I probably won't. Uh, but I, so I, I, I called one of our unnamed pilots named Tom. And I said, Tom, is, you know, since you were a fighter pilot, you know, how many people does it take to support a plane? Because, I mean, he would know, right? He didn't know. So if this is factually in incorrect, I blamed an unnamed pilot. You need to understand, one of my philosophies of ministry, this didn't come up in the interview uh, a couple years ago, but one of my philosophies of ministry is, what's the point of having a deacon chair if you cannot harass him? Like, so, especially when the wife told me that that's okay to do. Uh, So, where was I? F-35s, right. So it, you know, Yes, you got the pilot, and, and obviously the pilot's pretty crucial. Uh, but you also have the crew chief repairing the plane, uh, fixing the plane, keeping the plane working. Uh, one crew chief I knew, he's retired now, so you can't, uh, you can't court-martial him. He told me that he taught his kids to say, what do crew chiefs do? They fix planes. What do pilots do? They break planes. Uh, but, but even with the crew chief and the, uh, the pilot, that's not enough. You, gotta, you better have your weapons, people. Otherwise, you've got nothing to, to shoot or fire or drop when you get up there. Uh, you better have your fuel, people, or you're not even getting off the runway. Uh, and then you've got a whole slew of people. I didn't even know before coming out here that, like, there's electricians who just specialize on the fighter jet. And then there's, there's somebody who all his job is is to take care of the ejection seat. Like, there's all these different roles uh, and, and security forces, like, yeah, they're not directly working on the plane, but they're making sure nobody else is getting to the plane that shouldn't be. Um, and the administration people, all the things they do behind the scenes of the office help everybody else do their job. Even the person who's cleaning the bathrooms, like, is, is missionally important uh, to the mission. And I think there's an analogy for us in that church. We're, again, we're not all going to go out as missionaries, but this is what we should all be about, the mission is for all of us. Let all the nations know Christ. And when we lose sight of that as a church, we do dumb things. We spend money in wrong ways and we, and we argue about things that aren't important. But when we're focused on the mission, when we're focused on the mission, we know what's important and what's not. All of us should be about the mission, reaching every nation for Christ. Well, finally, this psalm ends with a confident view to the future. The earth, the psalmist closes with this. He says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Seems to be coming full circle, doesn't he? There's that chiasm again. The psalmist is, appears to be ending the same way he began. God blessing the nations. God's blessings, sorry, God's blessings, God's giving blessings and the result being all the nations coming to know the one true God. Is this your desire? 
Is this your prayer? Psalm 67 is a prayer. It's a song. It is not meant merely for us to study this morning. It is ultimately meant for us to sing and to pray ourselves. And when you pray Psalm 67, you are praying and seeking the very thing that God desires. You know, I love to think about from the perspective of the psalmist. It just would have blown their mind to to try to explain to them. I mean, I think we're what? Maybe as the crow flies, what, 7,000 miles from Israel? Uh, Don't quote me on that. I should probably ask an unnamed pilot for that distance as well. But to think about, to that psalmist, if I could go back, you know, thousands of years and say, there's this place called Utah and you've never heard of it and it's in a country and a continent you don't even know exists and there's going to come a time when when people in this land that is so far away and you don't even haven't even heard about it that they're going to hear about the one true God and they're going to praise him and they're going to gather every week to sing his praises just think how that would have just been mind-blowing to the psalmist to know that God was going to fulfill that prayer And if you're a follower of Jesus, think about in your own life how somebody brought you the gospel. None of us are born Christians. Like you you can't be born a Christian. Like you have to come to a place of personal faith in Christ. And every one of us has a story of how God brought us the gospel. And it's a glorious story and it's and it's, it's, just think of gratitude wells up to think about how God engineered people and circumstances to bring me the gospel. And what he did in your lives to bring you the gospel. And now God wants to use us to bring the gospel to the next person. Worship team is gonna come up and lead us in a time of reflection. And we do this to give to give ourselves a moment to reflect on what God is saying to us through Psalm 67 and how the Spirit is showing us this applies to our lives. When we pray, let's develop the practice of answering that question, why? Of giving biblical reasons for why we are asking God to answer our prayers. And let us ask for God's favor. Let us ask for his blessing for the sake of the kingdom.